Blog Talk Radio. There's no earthly way of knowing. <laughs> Good man is out of time. Which direction we are going? Narekio Camino. It would have been DWI. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and all the ship at sea. It is Tipping Points with uh, me, Stephen Platinum, and of course, the venerable Larry Goodman. How are you doing tonight, Larry? Pretty good. How do you like that? I actually faded that little intro thing properly for a change. What do you know? I mean, we're off to a good start. <laughs> massive, massive production improvements yeah, already happening. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I uh, you know I, I know we're gonna we're gonna definitely talk about the Ring of Honor show in Atlanta, but um, I, you know I don't know if you saw Raw last night. So obviously we're right in the thick of let's get you ready for Rumble. Uh, at which point WrestleMania season will start. But I was wondering how they were going to handle Snuka. You know, Jimmy Snuka died. I, I imagine yeah. almost anyone who's listening to this would know that. But Jimmy Sm- Snuka died. And recently, you know, they had, they had sort of brought up the, the murder trial thing. And then they, I guess, you know, he just wasn't in condition for the trial, obviously. So they kind of let him off the hook there. But I was wondering how the WWE would handle Jimmy Snuka dying. Because, uh, you know, for the younger viewers, they may not know this. There was a time, I, I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say, that Jimmy Snuka was their draw. It wasn't for that long of a time necessarily, but there was a time where he was the guy that you wanted to see, where they sort of shored up you know, Bob Backlund's run at one point with a stronger undercard and Jimmy Snooker was definitely one of those guys. Yeah. I liked, I mean, I love the clips they showed of him and I, I remember seeing mm-hmm. Snooker before he went to WWF uh, in Atlanta in the Omni and thinking, wow, this guy is incredible. Of course, then he was really in his prime. He was still a young guy. And I mean, there yeah. I just hadn't seen guys who could do like what he was doing very often in, in wrestling. So yeah, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate the his the way his career um, got sort of was marred by you know what went down with the alleged murders and so forth and, and and all that. And you know, it seems like it may be more than alleged from all the evidence that came out. But in any case, um, I, I was watching just sort of half watching Raw. I saw the clips. Did they talk much about him during the show? They did not, you know, they didn't open with them. Um, they just kind of showed the same presidential, or, I mean, the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. package. Uh, they didn't talk about him at all until they showed the clip, um, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting. I mean, I was secretly kind of dreading the inevitable Foley promo. It's <laughs> so terrible to say, but I, I thought there would be this sort of like long thing about, but no. Um, and when you look at the release, the sort of press release they did when Snuka died, it was very, 
uh, what's the word I want to use? Very antiseptic, um, where it seemed like it was this sort of trying to gauge how, you know, they didn't, they said he was a WWE Hall of Famer, because he is, but they didn't say, you know, we're, we're deeply saddened by the loss. It was just sort of just noting his passing and then saying, you know, our, our you know, thoughts and prayers go to the family, but nothing about them personally um, kind of like, you know, stating an emotion about it. it. To me, as soon as I read that, I went, oh, he'll get a clip package and that'll be about it. And, and that, tr- that that proved to be correct. There were no, no mentions throughout the night. And again, um, I know it's a strange position to be in. At the same time, Snooker really was, he was certainly the um the sort of spice um, jimmy superfly snooker is one of the few guys i would say that there's like five or six guys who you can name that that non the people that don't know much about wrestling at all would know that name uh i was having yeah. this discussion recently like jimmy superfly snooker people just know that name it's sort of like american dream dusty roads that people that haven't watched wrestling in decades would associate those guys with pro wrestling you know obviously hogan flair but really jimmy superfly snooker was in that sort of rarefied air of guys that were megastars and is given credit um, correctly or no, with sort of changing wrestling as far as making top rope stuff kind of the the thing, you know, like that like he really kind of changed the style. Of course, the famous dive from the top of the cage. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> it's expected, is it not? I, I mean, I th- I think if you don't do a spot off the top of the cage, the match is almost deemed a bit of a disappointment. It's it's amazing how things that were once revolutionary and just seemed so mind blowing have become very commonplace. That's something else I just sort of noted when they're showing those snooker clips. Well, and you know, there's top rope splashes, splashes, and there's top rope splashes. And you look at the way he did it. How could you forget it if you ever saw that thing live? I mean, what? I mean, incredible height he got on that thing. Um, yes, I mean, he, he, he deli- that was the one thing I noted is that he delivered the splat. There was no, I mean, basically there was no difference if he was standing next to you, jumping from the top rope or jumping from the cage. He delivered it the exact same way. It really was. I mean, it really does kind of hold its weight on time, um, which is yes. so funny because I watched, you know, obviously, you know, the Kenny Omega match, either Dave Meltzer gave it six stars. People are debating about it, but I watched that match and Larry, you know what I, my first reaction was, I think we might finally have a wrestling match that can't be topped. Now that, that might be a ridiculous statement. I'll, I'll own up to that, that, you know, obviously you can always top something and blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't remember the last time I felt that way, that feeling of my God, I've just seen something that completely blew me away. And I'll say this for Snuka. Um, I, strangely, you know, you're saying how you saw him before he was in the WWF. I saw him after. I, um, you know, as a as a uh, a wrestler going around the country, I got to see Snuka when he was kind of messing around with Eastern Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and he was sort of their bankable star at one point. And... 
it was, but I was still thrilled to see him in the same way. Like it caught me by surprise when seeing Muda at that awful TNA taping still sort of caught me as, wow, it's Muda. Uh, And they still had that thing, you know, there's just that, that it factor of guys that were bonafide, genuine stars. And um, certainly Muda had it and um, Snooki did as well. The kind we don't have enough of anymore, but that's a whole nother story for another day. So um, the ring of honor, you want to talk a little bit about the ring of honor show? Absolutely. So what, what was your, you, you did not um, write the report, but you know, you and I had talked about it and certainly other people wrote reports. What were your kind of big impress? One, it was, it was sold out, right? I mean, it, it was certainly seemed to be that way. It was just, every yeah, seat with, was with, full. At, within, you know, like maybe 10 or 15 seats of a sellout. Yeah. Yeah. There was, it was virtu- virtually sold out. Um, the uh, things that stood out to me through the night, um, Juice Robinson got a what what a look that guy's got like right out of the 1980s. Mm. Um, uh, mm. If, if they can't make a star out of him, then well, of course they've had trouble making stars out of people, and in in you know they people the whole thing with ROH with where guys leave and are bigger stars elsewhere. Um, I mean ACH being one of the latest examples of somebody they just I don't know who was as great as he was there they just couldn't figure out how to really capitalize on him fully. And I don't know if Juice Robinson's that guy, but he sure has a hell of a look. Marty Skrull, I mean, great character. Not um, not a great athlete, but w- what a great performer and character, which they certainly need, and he, he got big-time responses. Briscoe and Lethal had another great match. I mean, I love watching those yeah. guys. And their, their ability to pace things and not – I think of Jay Briscoe as a guy who sometimes does too much, but certainly not with, with lethal. They weren't doing too much. They're getting the most out of what they did. I really, really enjoyed that match a lot. Um, the Young Bucks, like, of course, over like crazy, and um, they did all their signature stuff, and, and uh, it, was, it was very entertaining, no doubt. Um, the Kingdom, man, yeah, I could live without this. I wish they would have just put that out to, you know, laid that to rest. These these two new guys, this Orion and uh, uh, Vinny Marseglia, Mar- Marse- yeah, I mean, I just don't get, they just left me cold. I wish they would have just let the, um, let that die, you know, and not try to uh, so what, keep what, the kingdom going. What, yeah, I was going to say to people that might not be familiar, so, I, I mean, Clearly, it's an attempt to kind of keep that thing going that was so good, and obviously, it it, it had all the appeal of you know Al Snow and the Rockers for you. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the, the thing that stood out about that is our is uh, you know a very uh, notable. He's not from Georgia, but notable for his wrestling in Georgia. Uh, Joe Black just got absolutely destroyed by a triple powerbomb on the floor, and that was it for him in the match. That took place like in the first 30 seconds, and he was done. But that just looked ungodly. Um, They did this six-man scramble for a uh, TV title shot that was won by Donovan Dijak. I mean, the guy's physically impressive, but there's just something about his character that leaves me cold. The guy that really made the impression in that match was Leo Rush. Of course, he gets oh, yeah. an impression on me every time I see him. But, uh, yeah, the crowd was really into Leo Rush, and he, he was fantastic. Dijak, I don't know, I just don't, I just don't get his – he just doesn't do anything for me. Um, the women's match, boy, they just really don't 
have much in that department. If this is the best they have, then they're just really just should let it go. I mean, this was not taped for television. This is going to be, I guess, for YouTube. Kevin Kelly was not at ringside uh, for this. They and actually for uh, color commentary, they just rotated wrestlers in and out all night long for color commentary. But uh, Kelly Klein, Kennedy Brink, Faye Jackson, I mean, Sumi Sakai was just not very good. Another Georgia notable, Matt Sells, got his ass just destroyed by Adam Page. I really enjoy Page. And, and Sells took just a brutal beating, quick beating from Adam Page, as did uh, poor Sal Renaro, uh, who got a job. Oh, Sal. Yeah. Sal, yeah. Sal, I mean, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sal at one point had been a, a notable, right? Wasn't he like a tag champ or something well, like that? Well, that's the thing. There were, there, there were a few people around the area I was sitting that did know and did remember that Sal Renaro was a t- – ROH tag team champion with Tony Mamaluke. But I think that was lost on most of the people there who just were uh, chanting jobber at him. One of the most notable things of the night was this huge crowd reaction when they did an angle yeah. with uh, Briscoes and Shane Taylor and Keith Lee. And uh, Taylor and Lee put Jay Briscoe through a table and, it, it, you know, it, the table shattered. There was no brooms. And here's the security guys, and notably, most notably, one of Georgia's best wrestlers, Drew Adler, on his hands and knees, furiously trying to sweep the uh, particle board shit out of the ring <laughs> with his hand. And then, <laughs> and, and, and everybody's noting, like, you know, like, well, you guys don't have a broom in here anywhere? Anyway, they, they finally they bring out not one, not two, but three brooms, and then it starts this... Uh, this chant, one of them was, uh, of course, the Bucks had just wrestled, so they got a two-sweep chant, and then a sweep-forever chant, and the crowd was just, it was pretty funny, I have to say, it was pretty hilarious, the crowd was just yeah. super entertained with the, with themselves for for coming up with these chants, but it was, it was just so interesting that that was about as loud as the crowd was all night long was for these fucking brooms. <laughs> I I mean I had been in the ECW arena many nights for a um sweep it up asshole sweep it up chant. I um I was going to ask about that because it really shocks me that it's a, it was a YouTube only taping. I mean that show was long. No, was it not? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I let, let me uh, I I misstated. Only the women's match was YouTube. Gotcha. Just the just gotcha, the women's gotcha. match. Everything, okay. everything else they tape. They tape four hours of TV, but the women's match will not air on television. Evidently, what, was the crowd with it? You're always a really great gauge of that kind of thing. Were they were they well, all there for the end, or? It's the same as the. I think I've been to one or two, at least one, and maybe two of two Ring of Honor tapings where they do four hours, and that yeah. fourth hour is where it faded, and I felt bad because the the Christopher Daniels-Jay Briscoe match that was the main event with Briscoe going over and now getting the uh, title shot at Adam Cole was a great match, and the crowd just was really fading by that point. You know, you're, you're four hours plus into the show, and they just, you know, some people left after the third hour, and they just weren't really fully there for that last for that last part. Um, yeah. So the, the, other, the other interesting thing was hearing several comments about people Fans saying how much they hated wrestling fans um, for some of the shit that was being. You know, I, just, I thought that was very amusing. <laughs> yes, I heard it was sort of like a nonstop. I, I mean, it, it, it just really reached that point 
I mean, we've talked many times about how fans that are it's it's there's contributing to what's going on and helping create an atmosphere and then there's just you know that sort of aspergery not understanding what's appropriate yeah. what's too much um making the show about yourself um all of that stuff which again just plagues wrestling and uh i, I mean i still marvel at raw crowds that will muster up saying what during somebody's promo. I I mean, in what world is that still okay? I don't like that always just <laughs> baffles me. It's like, how come the person next to him just doesn't, you know, bust out the proverbial rolling pin or the frying pan and deck them? I don't, I can't even believe anybody would say what without a hint of irony and not, feel the repercussions of that in this day and age, but that's where we're all, That's where we are. Yeah. And it, on the whole, I thought the crowd at this show really um, helped the show and was for the show and was not, you know, you know yes. making themselves the show. I thought it was, it was, it was a good crowd. There was only once or twice where it felt to me like, it's like, okay, this is a little bit too much. You know, don't, don't take away from the show. Um, you know, and of course, if, if you've never seen wrestling at, uh, at center stage, you owe it to yourself oh. to check it out just from a, from a wrestling history perspective, if nothing else, certainly WCW used to do quite a bit of tapings there, but ring of honor. I absolutely love that venue for them. Um, you yes. know, during WrestleMania week in Atlanta, they did shows there. I, I was recently telling the story of that was just an amazing week like we did a show on thursday at masquerade that was easily the biggest attended i mean hundreds of people packed into that spot and jim Cornette was there and all this crazy stuff and then dragon's gate was doing their thing but dragon's gate i mean it's funny you were saying how they didn't have brooms ready and clearly they had to go get brooms that belonged to the venue Right. They, they just weren't yeah. prepared, you know? And so, um, I mean, I just remember that dragon's gate where they didn't have a ring bell for crying out loud. So I had to like bring them a ring bell. Um, it's just those little things that again, you just, just forget, or, you know, who's in charge of bringing that. And when you're using a different ring from town to town, it's not like you can just have stuff in a truck that you're hauling from place to place. So the interesting little things that fall through the cracks when you have so much to worry about. So last thing before we bring our guest on, and, and I couldn't agree more mm-hmm. about the center stage. What a great place to see a wrestling show. Uh, that uh, Ring of Honor did announce a return date, August 26th, but no venue. Um, so we shall see about what, what, what that means for them. Oh, it's great. Yeah, well, I they'd come um, back you to know, the center stage to tape more TV. But. Uh, well, thank you, Larry, um, for talking about Ring of Honor. That's obviously a big deal. But in Tennessee, a place that's kind of near and dear to your heart, recently something's kind of come up. And, you know, with personalities that we've talked about before. And so we have Chiazzo on uh, to talk about it in depth. Do you want to kind of like set it up and then introduce Francisco? Well, uh, just quickly, the um, Arcadian Wrestling Association was the a project of Leah Hewlin, who some of you may remember from Southern All Star Wrestling. Um, she is the she is a former Miss Tennessee and the proprietor of Grumpy's Bales Bonds, who was the primary sponsor for a good period of time for Saw Television. 
and to the point where she was featured on every show, and they would do segments with some of the other uh, Bales Bonds people, and segments where they were, you know, showing the fugitives on TV and going out, and, and they I think they even showed once or twice where they picked somebody and brought him in, and <laughs> blah 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 blah. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, some there were weeks where her segments were the best thing on the show. But uh, in any case, this was a project of hers, and um, it did not go well. And um, I, our guest has some strong opinions about that and is going to you know, fill us more in on the details of what went down with Arcadian Wrestling. And right now I'd like to bring on the king of Florida, Francisco Chiazzo. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, man? One of my favorite people in the entire world, Larry Goodman. And I'm not just saying that to get a good review. I'm just saying you're actually one of my favorite people, so I'm glad to be out here about it. Um, and uh, I want to correct you on a few, I want to correct you on a few things. Larry yeah. I'm the king of the South. Please. My proclamation of the Royal Wrestling Commission, I am now the king of the Southeast, so let's get that right. Get that in Oh! I was actually going to correct Larry on that. Believe it or not, I was going to say, no, I believe it is the entire Southeast, and I'm glad you said something. And I'm, and I'm just living, guys. I'm not, I don't have any goal about this. But I just, I just, I, I, I get, I pop myself with this kind of stuff. I really don't do it for any other reason than to pop myself. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, hell, I can't have fun doing this crap. What the hell do you, you know, what are you doing here? You know, I, I friggin', I, I fight the spandex for God's sake, you know? So, but uh, yeah, I've got some. I definitely got some strong feelings about everything that uh, that went on. So um, you, uh, I don't know. Go ahead, Larry. Fire away. I know you got. Well, well got no. So, so I, my, what I understand is that you and and you were not the only one moved to Tennessee to be part of our painting with the understanding they were going to be running regular loops and it was going to be a, a pretty big deal. So, is that is that the the uh, was that how it started for you? Yeah, it actually started about a, about a good year and a half ago. Uh, I got a call. It was actually, I'll correct you on one other thing, too. It was actually a project of Chase Stevens. It wasn't a Leah who won project. She's an idiot. Uh, she couldn't project herself out of, a, out of an epic paper bag. So um, this is actually a brainchild. Of, and uh, I, if I curse, you guys got to beat me out. I only talk a certain way, and I'm only going to be able to tell a story if I curse. I know, <laughs> believe me. You know, you're fine. Trust me. But, uh, um, <laughs> Well, I got a call from Chase Stevens about a year and a half ago, um, and he said, hey, I got this project. Uh, here's a list of guys that I'm looking at. And uh, it ranged anywhere from Damian Wayne to Micah Taylor, myself, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, uh, a good majority of the guys that were featured on the event were uh, originals that he had, he had handpicked and chosen and, and so on. And, uh, you know, just like every other project, and that's not, you know, crapping on Chase Stevens, I mean, uh, him and I both have heard, oh, I got this project, I got that project, I got this money back. Absolutely. I, we're going we're gonna to take on Vince, we're going to beat Vince Carter, we're going to beat Ring of Honor, all up and down the line. And they're all jerk-offs. And uh, none of them do a damn thing. And uh, they might run one or two shows and throw $100,000. So I really didn't expect anything. Uh, next thing you know, I get a call from him about three or four weeks later asking me if Stormy Lee and I are available for these three or four dates. Um, and I was like, yeah, of course, anything for you. And Chase has always been a really close friend of mine. And um, all the way back to TNA days when I was trying to get a job. So uh, nonetheless, we came up here uh, in January of 2016. And uh, we got snowed in. There was a horrible ice storm. And we did one show out of the four that were booked. And uh, got paid for all four, which was nice. Um, so it started out great, you know, I was like, wow, man, she was, you know, whining and dining us and taking us out, 
put us up in one of our five or six homes that this this squad owns. And uh, you yeah. know, next thing you know, it was you know we got snowed in any house, and we ended up leaving on uh, the Saturday. Uh, after you know, in the middle of the tour because there was no other shows because everything, everything was closed. So we ended up going home, and we came back for a reboot in uh, was it January, February, March, March or April, I believe, 2016, and uh, for a four-day loop. And uh, we did an MTSU Center, uh, which was uh, here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is a huge arena. Uh, and uh, uh, the first nail in the coffin was the fact that she spent $16,000 on this venue. And, uh, and that's a sheet price. That's not, a, that's not an exaggeration. That is a sheet price. That is a real price. And, uh, hell, I don't think Vince would pay that price if he came to work in Tennessee to run the other She said, hell, I don't even think he, runs, he pays that for that arena downtown Nashville. So, uh, nonetheless, um, when Chase told her not to you know, not to spend that kind of money, just to, you know, we'll cancel that date and just run the other three, you know, her, her, as far as well, nobody's going to tell me what to do with my money, and she wrote the check for $16,000. So, needless to say, um, that building, if I had to guess, probably holds about $8,000, um, maybe a little less, I don't know. Uh, I'm not yeah. really good with the that kind of stuff, but anyhow, it's big. So, um, I hadn't been in a arena that big since my first time in shot, so it was, it was a big place. And we probably drew seven fifty, eight hundred, which is a really, really good house, except when you're in an arena that large. It looks like there's five people. Right. So yeah. And uh I mean we had a I mean that was everybody from if I'm not mistaken, I think Animal was on that on that loop, uh Dangrell, I think. Um, just a, a plethora of independent, you know, top notch talent, everybody from Damian Lane to Chase Stevens, Cassidy Riley, West Frisco. I mean, we made it over there. And um, uh, Bruce Santee. So, uh, so anyhow, we did that show. And, and of course, everyone's on a high, you know, so you're not really thinking at the time it's a nail in the coffin. You know, you're just thinking, okay, well, this, this woman's really making a go at this. And she's really got some money. And, you know, she's all for this because anybody who really wasn't behind something would spend 16 grand on an arena. So, for uh, our first movie. But I figured, you know what, she knows what she's doing. She built this company, her company Grumpin's from the ground up. So she obviously knows business and knows what she's doing. So, uh, so we did the other three dates. And I think it was like Dallas and Tennessee, Springfield, and uh, some other town. I can't remember. Um, and they all did fairly well. They, we drew and, and, you know, anywhere between, you know, 400 plus in, in, in I think, all of the venues. So we did fairly well. Um, so things had started off good in you know, April, and then, uh, you know, we came back for May, and, uh, when we came back in May, uh, she, she basically offered us jobs, and, uh, myself and Scott Lee, and not just, not just jobs wrestling, but jobs in the bailbox company also, and I was like, well, yeah. you know, I saw myself doing, you know, bailbox work, where she explained a reality show that she was, uh, getting ready to sign on with, and, and or sign on for, and I uh, literally laid all of this stuff out. Now, in my time in the wrestling business, I've been given, you guys have to excuse me, I'm on a snare climber, so I'm really, really heavy. I'm not like jerking off of it. I'm actually trying to work out for me, so you have to excuse me. But, uh, but nonetheless, um, we, uh, all the stuff that was being presented to us wasn't ideas. It wasn't promises. These are all things that were happening right in front of our face. Right, so, yeah. yeah. I think that's what people don't get is that, I mean, you guys were seeing the money spent, 
but things were happening. It's not like it just like, oh, sorry, guys. I mean, things were continuing to move, right? Right. Yeah, they were absolutely moving, and they were moving in, in you know, the right direction. And, you know, Granny Judge, I hate using this term because it's overplayed, but your haters and people are like, oh, it's, it's going to blow off, and it's no one's going to be able to do this, and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, but the fact of the matter is it was happening. It was happening right in front of us, and we were all doing it. So, Dan Stormy went back to Florida after that main loop, which was fairly successful, and we, uh, we talked about it. And then, you know, we made a decision. And uh, there was really nothing in Florida really for us. All of our events that we were doing outside of World Wrestling Network, South Illinois companies, were out of state. They were all in Georgia, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, you know, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we made the decision and sold pretty much everything we had and uh, left our families. And, again, I'm not trying to give you a woe is me or a, uh, uh, feel bad for me pity party. These are facts, and this is what happened. And we packed up a U-Haul truck, and uh, and this just goes to show you just how how like delusional this individual is, uh, Leah Huan. And so she she renovated an entire building and called it the AWA Hotel, and uh, for the boys and girls that work for the company. So instead of buying hotels, and if anybody in the wrestling business knows, WWE doesn't pay for your hotels. CNA doesn't pay for your hotels. Ring of Honor doesn't pay for your hotels. So, you know, she was, she was paying for everybody's hotels and, 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 and trans and food and so on and so forth. And shows were getting catered. And, and, and then she renovated this entire building that she had purchased and literally turned it into a hotel for the boys. It was like eight or nine bedrooms, fully furnished, TVs, kitchen, bathrooms, uh, showers. Uh, bedroom sets and dressers and fans and everything else. And everybody was like three, three beds for you. And uh, it was kind of like a dormitory for the boys and girls that, that worked for the company. And the couples had their own place to stay. Uh, myself, Stormy, Mike and Tracy Taylor, and uh, King Shane and Queen Taylor. And of course, Shane stayed in the middle house uh, as well uh, with the couples. So, you know, things were really, really moving well. And then we came back into the June tour and uh, made our decision before we that we were, we were going to accept the offer. And then uh, we moved on, on July 3rd, I believe it was July 4th, I can't remember. I think we arri- arrived on July 4th. And when we arrived here, again, she met us at our, at our condo, helped us home the truck. I mean, she was just, it was almost like it was too good to be true. So, and usually when that kind of thing happens, it's typically Um So we got unpacked and unloaded and, and two days later, we, we went to the AWA office in Franklin, Tennessee. And here's where the problem started. Um, her, oh. her husband, her, her husband, yes, she has a husband. You didn't know it. But yes, she has a husband. His name is Kevin Smith. And uh, he, uh, he, he wasn't very fond of, of the wrestling portion of her life. Um, which, you know, looking back on it, if I was in his position and watched her throw money after everything, after every wrestling company, MMA or rodeo that came to Tennessee, I'd probably be pretty ticked off as well. Um, unfortunately, I don't, I don't learn about all this stuff until later in the game. So I just noticed him showing up often. Uh, really wasn't the same guy that I had met three or four weeks prior to that at Pigeon Forge when we went to our bell bonds license. And uh, we sat down, and she trained us on the bell bonds. Uh, industry, and, you know, I went on a couple of runs for Fugitive Recovery, and uh, 
Uh, I, my office was right next to Chase's in the AWA office. And, uh, I mean, this was all top-of-the-line stuff. I mean, brand-new furniture, brand-new desks, computers, you know, like everything you would need to start up a company she had. Um, you know, doing trucks, trailers, lighting rigs. I mean, she spent 50 yeah. on lighting, guys, you know. Um, so, you know, these were all things that when, when, you, when you look at the, the initial expenses starting up a company, you've got to have money to make money. And she had the money, and she was putting it into the company. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't for the right reasons. And when you've got someone who's a complete sociopath uh, and, a, and a complete narcissist and, a, and uh, just all about herself, which, of course, you don't find this out until we move here, until we're with her every day. And everything went from us to the team and family to I, me, my. And it almost happened overnight. And I remember coming home one night and Stormy said, uh, we sat in a meeting with her and Chase and, and uh, our producer and uh, a friend of mine, Shooter Storm, who moved down from New York to also be a part of this company. And uh, she said, did you, uh, did you gotta get a, get a feeling that she's, she's not really as much uh, behind this, this idea of making this move forward as she was before? And I said, yeah, I said, maybe, maybe she's having a bad day you know, whatever the case may be. And that's really what, what got it started. So I know I'm kind of rambling. So if you guys have questions, just kind of jump in. Um, you know, I, I guess it's tough because as soon as you guys moved there, it seemed like it started to go south. Where was the moment where it just completely fell out? Like, where, what's the moment that you're just like, oh, God, now clearly it's not going to happen as she promised. Clearly this thing has gone south. This was, uh, we came in the week of July, and then our, tour, our next tour was two weeks later, a week later. The July tour went off great. Um, was really awesome. I thought it went well. Everybody thought it went well, except for her. She didn't like it. She all of a sudden did it there for the guys. All of a sudden, she said, Princess Mother's boring. Why are we paying him? Uh, Derek King is lazy. Why are we paying him? Uh, why are we paying the guys from Texas? Why can't we just get local guys? So she was, she started, because she was getting the, 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 uh, 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 the backlash at home from her husband and wondering where all these thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, at this point, if I had to guess, I would say she was probably about 450k into this company, so almost a half a million dollars. And four hundred fifty thousand dollars. She was. Oh my god. Yeah, and that's on the low Ooh. side. I mean, that's just that's right off the top of my head. If I had to, well, you got to say, she went out and bought a a Ford F three fifty Dually cash. So I don't know. Look that up on Google and see how much I bought. Five sixty grand yeah. for that damn thing. Yeah. You know, and I'm not talking about bottom of the line. I'm talking being whistled the whole night and two box trucks, uh, three trailers, renovating an entire building, which probably cost us probably about thirty five thousand to renovate that whole building. Think of all the furniture. So you know, when you add all of that up, brand new ring, five grand, uh, fifty three thousand in lighting. Um, and you just, you know, cables, cameras, you name it. So, you know, it, it sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, because I can't fathom 
having that kind of money to spend, let alone spending it. But when you go back and look at everything she bought, you go, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And to be quite honest, all Chase wanted was a ring, a few lights, and a curtain. And we'll build from there. And that's what he wanted. And he, yeah. he, he honestly wanted a couple hundred thousand to invest, and uh, he would run the company. And we would, we would be like a little circus and travel around the middle Tennessee area from month to month and week to week, or week to week to month to month, and then uh, and build the company from there. And if she would have listened to him and did it his way, instead of wanting her face and her tits and her mouth on every flyer, poster, commercial, you name it, um, then we'd probably still be doing this to this day. And, but the moment, to answer your question, the moment I knew that this was going south, where we were sitting yeah. in a meeting after the July show, and her exact words were, I have no more money. Yeah. Cool. And I was waiting for the ha-ha. Like, I was waiting for, like, the gotcha, you know, and uh, I was waiting for Candy Camera to jump out, and there was no Candy Camera. Uh, there was no nothing. And now, granted, you guys are all regular guys. You guys would be loaded. I don't know. But you sound like regular guys. Okay? You're <laughs> broke and my broke and her broke are completely different. Okay? Sure, yes. Is not being able to buy groceries, not being able to pay my rent, uh, not being able to, to pay my car payment, my cell phone. That's broke to me. Okay? Broke to her is having $2 million in the bank instead of $4 million. So, you know, I had a really hard time with understanding how from July to August, she literally had no money. When I just watched her take an entire crew of people out to dinner, get drinks and everything, and spend $1,000, like you and I would spend $10 at Chick-fil-A. So, you know, it was, there was, the, we had to look at each other, and Chase looked at me, and we all kind of just sat there, and nobody said anything. And because what are you going to say to them? You know, what do you mean you have no money? I mean, that's pretty cut and dry when somebody says I have no money. You know, and so she said, she goes, we're going to do the August shows, or we're going to take off. We're going to we're going to do the August show, and we're going to do September, and we're going to take October off, and November, and come back in December. And Chase looked at me and goes, why would you why would you take off in the middle of this? final quarter of doing business. That makes no sense. If you're going to take off, take off December. You know, it's Christmas, holidays, New Year's, you know, people getting ready for the holidays. Take off December, come back strong in January. And she stuck to her butt. Nope. <coughs> Excuse me. This is, this is what we're doing. I'm the boss. She's like, whoa, wait a second. You're not the boss. Okay? You're my partner. I'm, I'm co-owner of this company, which is something I'll get to later on. He said, uh, I'm co-owning the company. You just don't tell me you're shutting down and we're not doing this or we're not doing that. She was like, why? It's my money and I do what I want with my money. And he goes, well, you just literally look at her dead in the face and goes, well, you just told us you don't have any money. So according to this, I guess I'm the boss now. So, because apparently I have more money than you do. So, and, uh, so they got into it. And uh, he ended up closing out the meeting. And he was supposed to get in the car. And I was like, uh, I think we're getting fucked. Like, I think we're about to get free. I think we just left families and, and, and money and everything else back to Florida for this garbage. And uh, 
So a couple of days goes by, and, and she calls us into the office, and Cedar uh, Storm had been hired and fired like four times a week in between July and August. She was paying him, you know, 400 hours a week under the table to uh, to promote the shows, and uh, literally had him running all over Middle Tennessee, which is what he was paid to do. And uh, he, she paid him a little small salary, which is kind of unheard of in in, in professional wrestling to pay someone to to promote your events that way. Um, but it was yeah. getting done, and it was getting done correctly. It was absolutely getting done correctly. Well, she fired him, knowing full well that was his source of income, and fired him for no reason. Literally called him into the office and said, I don't have any more money. I don't have any more money to pay you. So if you want to promote the events, you'll have to promote them on your own dime, but I have no more money to pay you. Now, granted, this kid moved from Messina, New York, with a backpack and a rolling bag, left everything else kids, left his family, left everything in New York to move to Tennessee to help run this company, and she fired him for no reason. Without warning, without a care, no wonder she didn't give a shit how he was going to eat, how he was going to live, made no difference to her whatsoever. And I remember he called me, I was on the way back to Atlanta, and he goes, I just got fired. And I said, what? He got fired. And so I kept seriously, what? So she was literally doing all of this behind Chasey's back, not telling him anything, canceling dates. We were supposed to have TV commercials for Knoxville, Tennessee. She went behind his back and canceled our TV commercials. So we ended up going 64 people in Knoxville, Tennessee, because we had no Oh, TV. my God. Yeah, we had no TV. We had no flyers. We had no posters. She canceled all of it without telling anyone. So here we think that there's commercials running on Raw, SmackDown, Lucha Underground. Uh, uh, we even had ads supposedly going on Ring of Honor, you know, on the internet, webcast, and whatever it is that we were doing. And she canceled all of it. So we went into Knoxville thinking, we're going to pack this house 64 people. It's good. And, of course, who does she blame? She blames the town. We don't draw. We're not drawing. We're not doing our jobs. Go so, ahead. I'm sure you guys got some more questions. I'm just waiting. So, Francisco, at the top of the show, I said that it was Leah's project. I, I was clear that Chase was the creative end of it, but I, I'm gathering. But he approached her to provide the funding. Is that right for 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 what was his project? And they became Actually, partners in his, that way. It was kind of. It was his project. The whole thing was his. The whole idea was his. The whole project was his. Uh, he actually had another money back. He had someone else already signed on, already ready to go, and not signed legally, but handshake and, and so on and so forth. They were ready to invest their money. And, and uh, I guess he had known Leah for a long time. They'd been, you know, friends. And uh, and uh, they were talking one night, and they were all together. I guess she, they were in a group, and they were talking or whatever, and he brought the project up, and, and she wanted in. And... Uh, and he was like, okay, well, you know, she, don't, don't get me wrong. Leah Hula is a charmer. She could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. She is a charmer. If you, if you don't know her and you meet her for the first time, you will absolutely positively fall in love with her. Because she is, she is, is, is as close to, like, uh, and I'm not religious in any way, shape, or form, but the story of Adam and Eve and the apple and the garden and, and so on and so forth, like, that's her. That's her to a tooth. You know, she will tell you everything you want to yeah. hear, and smile to your face, and shake her tits, 
and I say shake her ass, but she didn't have an ass. She just got butt implants. Pretty real, pretty funny for someone who's broke. You'll spend seven, eight thousand dollars on butt implants. But uh, uh, <laughs> and both and both tops are ugly face. And uh, but uh, but this was this was all Chase. The whole idea, the whole project, the whole brainchild was Chase. She was the money behind it because Chase, just like any other inventor or uh, guy who's starting up a company, you need money. You need well, the, the, the project itself and the vision, all him, 100,000% him. And, uh, so um, she was strictly the money behind it. So he didn't go to her. She, believe it or not, came to him and wanted it. And he, he canceled on, on his one his investor and his, his one money backer, and, uh, who essentially, unfortunately, passed away not too long ago, um, and went mm-hmm. to And... You know, to this day, Chase and I will talk about it. He, he kicks himself, you know, for obviously, you know, high cycle 2020. But, uh, but no, it was, it was 100% Chase Peters. None of that, none so, of what you saw was any idea. So here's what part of what I don't get is this wasn't her first rodeo. She was the major sponsor for Saw for a number of years. And, I mean, she certainly knew that. On, well, there may have been a couple of saw shows where they went to the fairgrounds and drew 750, something like that. But a lot of saw shows didn't wear anything close to that. I, I don't understand how she could not have known better about the amount of money she was sinking in on the front end. Of it. Well, you know, it, it was. Uh, some people would like to speculate. Some people would speculate and and and, and say that you know uh, she had ulterior motives. Uh, when it came to Chase, um, you can make your own assumptions based on what I'm saying. Um, and I can yeah. honestly say, and it doesn't mean, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, not because Chase is one of my best friends, and not because I consider him family. He never, in any way, shape, or form, would have led her to believe that he was going to be romantically involved or non business, uh, uh, I don't know the term you want to use, uh, with her. Um, in any way, shape, or form. I was there from the beginning. I saw everything. I was in every meeting. Now, granted, I wasn't around two students 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and nor was I around her. But I know when people are getting romantically involved. I'm an adult. I'm a guy. So I know when people are doing what, and it's pretty hard to hide. And in no way, shape, or form was there any ulterior motive for the And I'm even trying to protect it because, you know, I tell the truth when it comes to shit. And once again, I was there from the beginning. I got no reason to lie. I got nothing to lose. So um, yeah. I lost everything when it came to money-wise. So, you know, I don't have much, less, much else to lose. Um, but, uh, you know, I think in her mind, there was an ulterior motive there. And uh, I mean, you got to think, she's 54 years old. She'll like to tell you that she's 43. She's 54. Uh, she's a former Miss Tennessee. She looks like a piece of beef jerky or blonde And... You know, she's old. And there's this young, jacked, really, really sexy Chase Stevens. I say really sexy because he's sexy. Really, really sexy Chase Stevens. <laughs> and, and she's thinking to herself, ha-ha, I'm going to land myself a young, you know, former world champ, superstar Chase Stevens. You know, well, that wasn't happening. So, but in her mind, because she's nuts, that's what was happening. I I have I have one last question. At at the end of the day, now that you've had a little time to like look back at this, 
Um, how do you how do you even begin to assess blame? Obviously, Leah takes the brunt of it. Do you do you, is it is it all on her at the end of the day, in your opinion? Yes. That everything 100%. went tits up. Absolutely. 100%. And I've been asked this question before, and uh, this is the first time yeah. really, really. And there's so much more to this story, but we could be we could, we could talk for seven hours about this crap. But um, you know, there's um, it, it, some people have asked me. You know, well, don't you hold Chase responsible for a little bit of this? And, and absolutely not. You know, Chase was just as blindsided. Chase texted me after that August meeting. I want to say it was two weeks. No, I'm sorry, September. Because we got, I haven't even got to the part where we got fired yet. Um, and, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that was hilarious. But anyhow, he texted me about two weeks before we got fired. And uh, actually, we quit. But anyhow, I'll get all that. But anyhow, we, um, we walked in, I walked into the AWR office, and I was like, I thought you were going to do the office today. And he goes, nope. Leah told me I'm not getting paid. And I said, fine. She said, uh, she has no more money, and I'm not getting paid. Now, Brandon, he was working for MoCap, doing motion capture in uh, Los Angeles, and making a six-figure living. I'm not going to get his, his business, put his total business out there, but he was making a six-figure salary and doing motion capture with the video games and you know, all the WWE so on and so forth. And she had him quit mocap to run Arcadian Wrestling. And Matt mm. was, was matching his money. So, you know, uh, when you have somebody do that and they're relying on that money and they're used to living a certain lifestyle and they're paying their mortgage and car payments and, and daycares and, and you name it, food and so on and so forth, and all of a sudden... You drag the needle across the record and go, oh, you're not going to pay me. Uh, she was already three grand in the hole with him and hadn't paid him for three weeks. So now he's a month without income because he wasn't working any dates. He was just running that company. He had stopped taking dates, occasional one date here, there, you know, for work credits locally, but for the most part, he was a thousand percent all in running this company. And he did it day and night. He was up at three or four o'clock in the morning working on stuff in the company. And all of a sudden, she just stopped his paycheck. So here's Chase Stevens, who is now not able to pay his mortgage. Uh, you know, his, his girlfriend has to go out and get a second job because they have no income. And he's got to now start jumping back into indie dates to pay some bills. And he can't go back to MoCap because they replaced him with somebody else. So yeah. he's screwed. So I told Stormy, I looked at her when that happened, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is it. Yeah, we're, it's only a matter of time. And about two weeks after that, we came into the office. Uh, this is two days after, three days after the September loop, which we completely just killed it. I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, I come in on Monday morning, and the producer, Sean, meets me at the door. I said, hey, I want to talk to you for a second. Stormy was on her way back from a doctor's appointment. And he goes, uh, uh, Leah's downsizing grumpies and closing down AWA. And guys, when I tell you that my heart sank, I mean, yeah. literally, I mean, I wanted to effing cry. Like, I was like, we have no money. Like, we're broke. Like, we have everything we spent to get here. Her parents made this money. Like, we sold everything to get here. And, and again, I'm not looking for a pity party because, you know, we took a chance. We rolled the dice, and we came up for the chips. And 
I looked at him. I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, they're going to reduce you guys to bail agents in Rutherford County, which is the shittiest-ass county in Tennessee, and there's already six bail agents there. So you can do the math. It means you weren't going to make any money. And he said, you're no longer going to be on salary with anybody else. Uh, you're no longer going to be on salary with grumpies. So we went from, you know, I don't know, between me and Stormy, you know, four or five grand a month or whatever the case may be, which wasn't, you're not getting rich, but, you know, we were doing okay, you know, to zero, like overnight. So uh, all the, I text Stormy and she gets into the office and she starts bawling her eyes out because, you know, she's like, well, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, Leah's husband shows up, come barreling in the front door. Now, I got my pistol on because we're bailing. So I carry the gun. He comes barreling in. I put my hand on my gun, and I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm going to end up putting one right between his eyes, F and I's. Him and I got nose to nose. We went outside. He starts uh, chasing me. He's a piece of shit. He's a pussy. And he's here. I'll cover I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll rock. So I'm screaming back in his face. He's screaming back at my face. Next thing you know, Swami grabs me. We leave. And uh, Sean, the producer, right before we're pulling out, he goes, there's an envelope. There's $4,000. And I said, what's this for? I said, is this hush money? I said, because I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. He's going to hand me the $4,000, but I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. He goes, well, that's something. You know, something that gets you guys by for a month or two. And uh, hands me that money. And uh, it, was, it was basically the work that we had. She still owes us four grand. But it was basically the weeks that we had already worked, uh, with the exception of a couple of days. You know. And uh, so we ended up leaving, and uh, we went and deposited those checks. And her, me and Stormy sat down in the, in the condo and looked at each other and just literally just said to each other, like, what are we going to do now? Like, what are we going to do? You know, like, it was, neither one of us had jobs here. Neither one of us had, you know, we had any dates, you know, but... Compared to what we were doing with AWA, the money wasn't even close to that. So, you know, Stormy uh, uh, had to, you know, do what she had to do. I had to do what I had to do, you know, to hustle and, and make money and, and pay our bills because, you know, we had rent and car payments and everything else that we were dependent on, that money that we were promised and uh, that we were guaranteed. And she literally just dismissed us and threw us away like it didn't matter. She didn't give a shit if we ate, if we got addicted made no difference. So all this smiling and her, and I'm sorry if you guys are religious, but her Bible shit and her, her pretending to be religious and going to church, she's the biggest hypocrite, high-dollar rat I've ever met in my life. And if I see her, I swear to you guys, as on my mother's soul, I will spit in her face if I see her. Mm. Well, man, I, you know, I'm, of course, I'm sorry all of that happened. We're, we're gonna have to get off the air pretty soon. But, so, where are you at now? Like, you and Stormy, like, what's, what, what's your life? Where are you? Like, where do you live? All that kind of stuff. Postmortem. <laughs> we're, we're, we're postmortem is great. We're not living under a bridge. We landed on our feet. We're doing okay. We, uh, <laughs> we've, uh, we, we've definitely rebounded. Um, we're much happier uh, not having that stress of, uh, of wondering if, if today's going to be the day we close down, if, if, you know, having to listen to her and so on and so forth. But anyhow, we're doing okay. You know, we're wrestling all over the southeast and Texas, and, you know, I just secured some dates with Chicago, and, and uh, we're all over, the, you know, all over the southeast. We're still working the World Wrestling Network, so, you know, we're wrestling full-time. And uh, but now that we've, 
we've got our bearings about us. You know, we've secured, you know, enough indie dates where we're making a, 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 a okay living. We're not, we're not, we're not buying BMWs, but we're, we're doing it. So we landed on our feet and we're fighters. And Chase did too. Chase is doing okay and he's, he's, uh, he's managed to land on his feet. And, and uh, she's in a lot of trouble. So she's got a lot of things coming down the pipe from the IRS. Uh, drug enforcement agents. There's all kinds of stuff that's coming down. She's got a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, man, uh, I appreciate you talking to us. I mean, it's just, it's such a compelling story. And of course you're, you know, totally honest and upfront about everything. So thank you. Thanks a lot, Francisco. Uh, no, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. If you guys uh, need anything else, let me know. Appreciate it. Take Absolutely. Care. Well, well, well. You know, the wrestling business is, it's tough, man. Uh, You you know, why we wrestle has gone through a sea change of sorts. I I don't know how much we're supposed to talk about what's going on there, but needless to say, there's different people running it. And um, from all accounts, the uh, the show that happened on the 14th went incredibly well. Obviously, there was there was more promotion, and they had about a hundred in the building, and things are looking up. But again, this thing just sounded like, and this is not me defending Leah by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know you get snake bit and you spent, you're used to having money and you're used to making things just sort of happen. And at the end of the day, whether it's, I mean, any number of promotions you can think of, Larry, they all sort of count on this magic walk up to solve things. You know, this like magic idea that 8,000 people are going to show up or this magic idea that even a thousand people are going to show up when you've never drawn 150 and you still hear these kind of like sort of fanciful stories, you know, I think wrestling just kind of inspires that even now with all indications. I mean, when you look at like TNA, I mean, what's, have you, have you seen impact lately? Yes. Uh, You know, that, 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 that Anthem logo, my God, man, like it's the ugliest logo, not in wrestling. It's, I I describe it, I describe it like this. And, and honestly, this is how TNA seems like they've done everything for the past few years. I swear they commissioned somebody to do something with graphics, right? And, and they'll like start to present and then whoever will just look at the first one and go like, yeah, that one. They're like, no, 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 no. This is just the first thing that we sort of sketched up. We wanted to show you the evolution. No, 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 just go with that. Like everything seems like the first idea. Nothing is refined. Nothing is, there's no eye on how are you going, how is this going to work? There's no grown up in the room, you know? And well, I asked yeah, I mean, that question tend, of him. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think there, there had uh, what he was saying about Leah's ulterior motives. As I said, I mean, she worked with Saw, and I mean, Reno Riggins is a penny pincher, 
And Paul Adams is a penny pincher. So why, you know, how she figured that it was time to spend tons of money when she watched these penny pinching guys try to make a go of it with essentially a similar kind of operation. I just remember that first weekend they ran and they they ran that Murfreesboro, that big building he was talking about, and it looked great and all that. But it's like, how do the numbers ever add up with something like this? It just doesn't seem like it could possibly ever add up running, you know, loops in Tennessee. You know, it just... Anyway, I, yeah, it's it's kind of mind-boggling. What's, ins- no, What's insane is there's been like one time in the modern era, and by modern era I mean the last 20, 25 years, where something legitimately caught fire to the point where it was ridiculous. And that's, I mean, of course, WCW, where they go from losing millions every year to all of a sudden, you know, they're selling out buildings without announcing a match. And they're drawing pay-per-view numbers that are unheard of in wrestling history. And they're just doing more and more and more and more. And again, I asked this question recently of like, who's the biggest criminal in wrestling history? And (laughs) it always comes down to people who are involved with WCW because I mean, it was, it was utopia. It was wrestling utopia for the boys. I mean, guaranteed contracts for the first time and all this stuff sort of laid out for them and everybody screwed that up, you know, from the top down, like the boys have to take equal hit on that one. Guys like Kevin Nash, the way they sort of abused this dream system and it's never going to happen that way again. And it's certainly not going to happen at the indie level. I mean, anybody who's been in wrestling for any amount of time, um, certainly I have stories of, you know, being took, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, But at the end of the day, I mean, we're just in a different landscape and i think there's a reason that it the problem is often that the boys just getting to wwe is now the end game and there doesn't feel like there's guys who are desperate to be like the money making main event draw that just being there seems to be enough but i think that there's a reason for that and the reason is man at the end of the day you know, it's such a small group of people who get to make a living, a real living in wrestling. And that just that hope, you know, it's like Guns N' Roses kept the Sunset Strip going forever. Because as long as one band could come out of there and make it, it made, it sort of kept that industry going. And God, you know, well, I mean, and I, I mean. That interview we did with Ron Bass where, I mean, he was talking about it. Yeah. You know, you had to get yourself over in that. Your your living was based uh, on your performance. And how many guys now involved in wrestling is there, the you know, what kind of living they're going to make based on their actual performance in being able to, mm-hmm. it just isn't. I mean, it just doesn't, it's not, it's not the world we live in anymore. Uh, except for those very few Yeah, guys. it's my, it, it's my old counter to, you know, there's the, the always the debate with the with the boys, and I know we got to go soon. Where, where they're like, I should always, you know, you should always get paid. You're out there sacrificing your body, and of course, all that's true. And it's like, but guys, it's professional wrestling, da 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 da. But the flip is, yeah, but guys got paid based on their ability to draw. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I always ask that question: Who's a draw? And I, I mean. 
John Cena. <laughs> and uh, I don't, you'd have a hard time making an argument that anybody else is a legitimate draw by a measurable way over a sustained period of time. And it's just one of those ways that the business has changed. I mean, like that Ring of Honor show, if you took, I'd be interested, if you took a Ring of Honor show from even a year ago and, and rattled down that roster and then rattled down the roster that you saw on Saturday, I mean, it's at least 50% new guys, right? Yeah, and I, um, I didn't really talk about that, but, you know, the star power is, a pro- is definitely a problem for them. And while they drew pretty well, I mean, with, especially stage, with Kyle, Kyle O'Reilly not being, yeah. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly wasn't there, and that's, I mean, wow, you know, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, I certainly, I feel bad for all of the guys and women who got screwed over in that thing. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. Um, you know, some guys like Rudy Boy have sort of gone on record and just gone, well, you know, promotion start. They tried. She put money into it. It didn't work. What's the point of being mad about it? I don't think it's about being mad about it, at least from our perspective. It's more like these stories are important because, again, they're to be learned from. And even if the adage is as simple as if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Probably is. is. Hey, let's mm-hmm. let's go out on a positive note. You know that uh, absolutely like mentioned that the new generation show, Roger Davis ran in Macon. Oh my uh, God! Yesterday, <laughs> I mean they drew a legit cows of over two fifty with uh, MVP and Kenny King uh, on top, and um, sounds like it was a very successful show. So congratulations if we can get you know some wrestling going and drawing again at, the, at that way in in Middle Georgia. That's a wonderful thing all the way around, and they they have a return date on February twenty sixth. So um, what I love about development, a a story I heard about that, Larry, which is so hilarious is, you know, so I'm, of course, just asking questions and digging up the dirt. And my favorite story was even Roger himself, who is just sort of a famous like bluster bullshit guy, you know, but even he couldn't even pretend he wasn't shocked that they drew (laughs) in decent numbers. Like even yeah. he was apparently just flabbergasted and that's the nice, it's nice when that happens, you know, is it? it is nice when that happens no doubt about it, especially in middle Georgia, which is a place that uh, it just seems like it's yearning for that. Uh, I guess that peach state's sized show, you know, peach state is that for West Georgia and there really isn't, and there's other promotions that do pretty well, but, Certainly, if Roger Davis, for folks, if Roger Davis can make it happen, it can happen. I'll just say that. I wonder how many years it's been since a crowd of that that size was drawn actually in Macon. I bet it's been a while. Oh, that, that they well, that's something that for us to look in, into in for Macon. sure. Yeah, yeah. Well. In two weeks, we'll be back with the tipping point. I have an idea. I'm, I won't say it here, but I'm pretty sure okay. I can make it happen, Larry. And I, I just think in light of, you know, why we wrestle possibly going back to the original name. That's something that I've heard recently. Um, and I mean the original name. Um you know, maybe it would behoove us to have somebody from that era who is a shot caller on. That's my idea. But I think that's a anyway. Yes. Um, anyway, there's a. Where are you going to be this weekend, Larry? 
Probably uh, Peach State. If I really get motivated, uh, you know, Southern Fried could not run Buford on Sunday as they had hoped. That's been pushed back. They're going to run Monroe. Maybe I'll make it to Monroe on Sunday, but definitely Peach State on Saturday night. Wow, so they are doing that. They're just moving the show to yeah. Monroe on a Sunday. Isn't there a conference final game? Oof. Uh, people are braver than me. No, the, well, the, the, the uh, Falcons will be over by the time they, they run. Right. I think the, I think Falcons are early, so, yeah, they'll, they'll, they won't they'll be conflicting with that. But I guess the, the second game? Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well, uh, you know, fascinating show. Thank you again to our guest, Chiazzo, for laying it down for us and telling us what happened there for Arcadian Wrestling. And uh, we will see you in two weeks. Next week, of course, Three the Hard Way with Matt Hankins and Big Wood. And we will see you in two weeks for the tipping point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.